The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Have you ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? When we come through, it's true magic. Because we came to play at Walt Disney World Resort. This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now. You're multitasking. But what if you could also be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. So multitask right now. Get your quote now at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates' national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. Back to the ground game, a blast by Swift, cuts it to the right, Swift might go, to the 30, 25, foot race, inside the 10, and he's tackled from behind. DeAndre Swift punishing the Minnesota defense. Hurts shotgun, Swift sets up to the right, Hurts on a give, Swift looking for a hole, oh, what a move by Swift to take it into the end zone. Touchdown, Eagles. That was pretty much it last night for the Philadelphia Eagles over the Minnesota Vikings. An exciting sort of first game of week two. We're going to break that down. We're going to spin it forward to the rest of the week two action, at least the Sunday games. We'll save our Monday night preview for Monday when we maybe mention the two games coming up in the final 10 seconds of the show. But that's for Monday. Thursday and Sunday are for Friday, and Peter King is with us every Friday during football season. Good morning, Peter. Welcome back. How's everything? Good morning, Mike. You know, I, I, I thought it was a really very, very interesting game. And, you know, I stayed up. I never should do this, but I was just curious to see the interviews afterwards on Amazon Prime Video and watched uh, watched a succession of Eagles come in and and the analysis of it. And I just kept thinking to myself, I've never seen a team get attacked so much for being 2-0. and <laughs> Winning a tight game at Foxborough, which is going to be, I think, is going to be the way anybody's going to have to win at Foxborough all year. And then scoring 34 points at home, you know, forcing all the turnovers. And look, I, you know, they're the beneficiary of Justin Jefferson's mistake on the worst rule in the NFL, and I get it. But I just kept thinking to myself, you know, the old Bill Parcells-ism. You never pick up the next year where you finished off the last year. And that's what it is with the Philadelphia Eagles. It's not the prettiest football, uh, and there are things that the... You know, my my favorite cliche now in football 
is, oh, we got to get these things cleaned up. You know, and and look, they're going to be better. I think Jalen Hurts is still a terrific quarterback. And I I think the Eagles are going to be fine. And I'm not sure I can say the same thing for the Minnesota Vikings. Mike, eight quarters of play so far this year, and they have lost six fumbles. Some teams don't lose six fumbles in a season. And now it is, whatever it is, September 15th, and the Vikings have already lost six. And oh, by the way, nice fixing the run defense, Brian Flores. I mean, uh, you know, the, the Vikings, Mike, I know you love the Vikings. You grew up with the Vikings, but... Man, that's that's going to be difficult this year if if they don't play a little tighter on defense. One of the things that irritated me after the game last night, seeing all the tweets praising Kirk Cousins and Justin Jefferson for their statistical achievements through the first two weeks of the season, five days, Sunday and Thursday, incredible numbers. That's great. That's a fantasy football bastardization of what football is all about. They're 0-2. Yeah. That's the only stat that matters. That's all they care about. They don't care about their stats, not in that way, not when they're in the thick of it. Stats are something to talk about when the season's over. I understand that we pay attention to it because of fantasy football, because we want to know who's good, who's not good, who's doing well, who's not doing well. And it's an illustration of how successful the Vikings could be if they managed to hold on to the football. But the only stat that matters is points scored versus points allowed determined on a one-game-at-a-time basis. That's how you win in the NFL. And the Vikings... For everything they're doing well offensively, they're doing a lot of things poorly on both sides of the ball. And you mentioned the run defense. You know, the Vikings had the Eagles frustrated and irritated. The fans were booing in the first half. And as the Eagles figured out on the fly what was going on, similar to what happened on Sunday when Baker Mayfield and the Buccaneers figured out what Brian Flores was trying to do with an overmatched group of players the personnel is not great Brian Flores is trying to make something out of it once the other team figures out whatever the plan is for a given week they pivot and what the Eagles realized is hey we can run all over whatever Flores is trying to do let's just run the ball let's just run the ball let's pound them into submission they had DeAndre Swift healthy Kenneth Gainwell out for the game And Swift has 175 yards on 28 carries because every time he gave him the ball, off he went. Big chunks, unstoppable, methodical, long drives, shoot up the clock. It's amazing as many points were scored between the two teams as we saw, given the Eagles' ability once they realized what was going on to just run out a long run like that is the kind of thing that that would uh, keep the clock moving but there were some some moments where the Vikings just could not stop the Eagles and I'm amazed any of those defensive players had any gas in the tank by the time we got to the end of the game Peter yeah I I agree with you Mike and I think you know the Philadelphia Eagles last night you know let's talk about DeAndre Swift I think one of the things that happened in this offseason is that Howie Roseman had a decision to make. And that decision was whether to bring back and whether to pay Miles Sanders. And I think Miles Sanders very likely was extremely disappointed that the Eagles were not going to give him a representative contract. 
And I don't know what the negotiations were, but obviously uh, he's gone and they, you know, he left in free agency and they had to deal with, you know, the leftovers. And, and I mean, that's, a, that's not a nice thing to say about other players, but the fact is when Kenneth Gainwell gained 112 yards in the playoff game against the New York Giants, to me, anyway, it rendered Miles Sanders not as important in an offense when you've got to pay two wide receivers market value, you've got to pay tight end market value, you've got to pay center above the market, you've got to pay two tackles market value. You just don't, and you've got to pay people on defense. There isn't enough to go around. And so what does Howie Roseman do? After the draft in which the Detroit Lions take Jameer Gibbs in the first round, DeAndre Swift wants out, and so they accommodate him. They trade him for a fourth-round pick in 2025. Now, Mike, so when you trade a player a year down the road, that devalues that pick approximately one round. That is in the eye of you know, the way that NFL teams consider the devaluation of picks a year out into the future. So I went last night and I, and I looked at where the Eagles picked last April and devalued it one round and figured out that they now are going to be giving the equivalent of the 165th pick in the draft in 2025, uh, even though it'll be slightly higher, but it's devalued, as we said, the 165th pick for a running back who gained 175 yards last night and really was the most important player on the field for the Philadelphia Eagles. So, you know, look, Howie Roseman can't lose these days. The general manager of the Eagles, that is a great trade, not a good one. That's a great trade. And DeAndre Swift showed that he can run inside and outside, and he's going to be a real valuable piece to this puzzle this year. And it's an illustration of why running backs can't get paid. There are so many running backs out there that can do what DeAndre Swift did last night. Nothing against what he did. When you have that great offensive line, tackle to tackle, when they are opening gigantic holes, this was something that dawned on me 20 years ago when we used to go to all the West Virginia home games. Every year, there was a player in the backfield who was gaining over 1,200 yards on the ground. And it's like, you know, West Virginia's got one. Pitt's got one. Ohio State's got one. Every yeah. major college has a running back who you could put on an NFL team if you block for him and open holes if you trust him to hold on to the football, and if you can count on him in pass protection, he can be an NFL-caliber running back. So when Miles Sanders becomes a free agent and signs a four-year, $25.4 million contract with an average salary of $6.3 million per year, and you can put together a trio, Gainwell, well, it's actually four, Gainwell, DeAndre Swift, Boston Scott, and Rashad Penny, you're saving money by doing that. You're making the smart move from an analytical perspective. That's the way it works. That's why 
I kind of thought maybe the Eagles would be lurking for Jonathan Taylor because they got this revolving door of no real star running back. You don't need Jonathan Taylor when you have DeAndre no. Swift. And Boston Scott was doing well last night. And Rashad Penny came in, and but for the fact that he had a blatant hold in pass protection, he was moving the ball when he had opportunities to do so. So th- that's why great running backs can't get paid. There are too many good running backs to justify putting all your eggs in one basket. The smart move by a team, any team, every team, is spread those dollars around and trust the fact that if we invest in the offensive line, we can find plenty of guys who can be great when their number is called. And it goes from Gainwell to Swift. And there'll be a Rashad Penny game one of these weeks, potentially, depending upon injuries. That's just the way it works. And the Eagles have worked it to perfection. They're allocating the resources to the positions where there is what they call surplus value. There is no surplus value at running back because there are too many running backs. That's the core of the problem. And there was a lot of consternation back in July and August. It's not going to change, Peter. As evidenced by what we saw last night, it's not going to change. I don't see any reason why it would. And, Mike, you know, we're watching the end of the first half. And so I went back at halftime. I added everything up in the last 11 minutes of the first half. The Eagles rushed 17 times for 100 yards. One touchdown and one long field goal. So, you know, if you're the Philadelphia Eagles and you are able to get that sort of advantage out of your running game, I can see why, and look, A.J. Brown obviously ticked off on the sidelines. He's not getting the ball enough. You know, it was just one of those games, A.J., and if you can beat teams up running the ball and run for over 200 yards and totally control the clock, classic game of clock ball, if you can do that, why wouldn't you do it? And so it was smart allocation of their offensive playmakers. There will be a time that A.J. Brown gets his six for 140 and two touchdowns. That's going to happen. But... Nick Sirianni, Brian Johnson, they did their job very, very well last night. They read this football game. And on a night when you're playing the best wide receiver on the planet and you're playing a fairly hot quarterback, on a night where you face those two things, you want to give them the fewest possessions possible. That ladies and gentlemen, is why DeAndre Swift ran it 28 times last night. And here is Nick Sirianni, head coach of the Eagles, explaining the decision to pivot to and lean heavily on the running game fueled in large part by DeAndre Swift on Thursday night. Yeah, you go in thinking, hey, they're doing this, and you know, you, you, you're trying. The good thing about us is you're always trying to put the players in the best position to succeed while also doing what you do well. And what we're fortunate enough to be able to do is that we do run the ball well and we do throw the ball well. Um, and we were able to do what, you know, in those scenarios, you're able to do, uh, you know, either one in those scenarios. And so we went in with, the, with that, uh, with the notion that we were going to run it a little bit in that set. And, and we did. And the, that's a credit to the offensive line and, and DeAndre, who was getting the bulk of the carries right there. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. 
the longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Have you ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? When we come through, it's true magic. Because we came to play at Walt Disney World Resort. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. And, and look, that's why A.J. Brown may have become frustrated, because he may have thought this is a night based upon the game plan, based upon what they did in practice. He's going to see the ball a little bit more. Everybody wants to have a big game in prime time when everyone else around the NFL is watching. But they pivoted away from what wasn't working to what did work. And when it works, you keep doing it. You keep running it. There are a lot of coordinators out there that won't call the same play twice in a given game. Well, if it worked the first time, why won't it work a second time? And if it works a right. second time, it'll work a third time. And you just keep doing it until they stop it. And you find a groove. And they needed that. The Vikings still scored 28 points with limited opportunities because the Eagles decided to go into that run the ball, run the ball, run the ball mindset. And, Peter, I was doing a little math here on the fly. This is the the prime example of why – Running backs are going to struggle to get paid. And DeAndre Swift is going to be in this predicament after the season because he's due for free agency. And even though he's a Philadelphia guy and the Eagles were kind of lurking and they, you know, were on draft weekend, they, oh, we can get DeAndre Swift once the Lions spend the 12th overall pick on Jameer Gibbs and they've paid David Montgomery in free agency, we can, we can bring DeAndre Swift home. Another Georgia guy for Howie Roseman. A Philly guy for Howie Roseman. But it's going to be bye-bye, DeAndre. Thank you for the great year. But we're not going to pay you seven, eight, nine million a year. No, not when they can do this, Peter. And I've added up the cap numbers while we've been discussing. A little multitasking here, but it's an important point. Kenneth Gainwell, DeAndre Swift, Boston Scott, Rashad Penny. Now, mind you, Miles Sanders making $6.35 million per year on a four-year deal in Carolina. The combined cap numbers. For those four players, Gainwell, Scott, Swift, Penny, $6.009 million. For four guys combined, that's why running backs can't get paid. That's why the Eagles did what they did. And that's why DeAndre Swift is, in all likelihood, a one-year Eagle. And they'll find somebody Look, else next year. Yeah, Mike, I'll tell you, the last, last night at the end of the thing, obviously, I stay up, I'm... I'm noodling on a few things, and and I just looked at the Philadelphia Eagles' run game right now, and and look, you know, after two games, Jalen Hurts only has two touchdowns, two touchdown passes, but the Philadelphia Eagles in two games have rushed for 356 yards and 4.9 yards a carry. And I only bring that up 
because I think at the beginning of this year, when I went to training camp, I thought this is a team that's going to throw for 5,000 yards. Still might. And this is a team where the running game will be good enough. Look, the running game right now is the star of the show of the Philadelphia Eagles. And you know what that is going to do? Very simple. That is going to make defenses that play the Philadelphia Eagles know now that if we are too myopic to try to take Jalen Hurts and Smith and Brown and Goddard out of the game, if we're, if we're too pass-centric, <laughs> we're going to get drilled just like the Minnesota Vikings did. So I don't look at last night and the first two games of the season in a negative way for the Philadelphia Eagles. Would you like them to be crisper? Uh, would you like there to be? There's been a surprising amount of pressure, in my opinion, on Jalen Hurts. So would you like that to be better? Absolutely. But I look at this as much more of a positive, that they have now developed a better running game through two games this year than they did at any uh, consistent point last year. So if I'm the Eagles, I'm not discouraged. I'm, in fact, encouraged. Well, the Eagles benefit from a schedule that has winnable games early where they can find their footing. Look, Jalen Hurts took the league by storm last year. Defensive coordinators had seven months to study what went right last year for the Eagles and to come up with ways to maybe counter it, and they have. So the Eagles have been countering on the fly, and they've been scoring enough points to win games. Oh, Jalen Hurts may not be the fantasy football darling this year. Doesn't matter. That's all Fugazi. That's all Coke and fries. The hamburger is winning games, and the Eagles are winning games. And, yeah, A.J. Brown may be frustrated, and Jalen Hurts may not be on the track he was last year with his touchdowns and his yards, whatever. They're winning games. Now, now, the effort to counter the Eagles, Peter, did not include, so far, an effective effort to counter the play that accidentally ended up in the rule book that the Eagles took advantage of last year. And I still think it's our fault because we talked about it the morning after the Thursday night game between the Eagles and the Texans, how it's no longer against the rules to push a runner from behind. It quietly exited the rule book in 2006. And last year, the Eagles, the light went on. Line up that way. Jam the guy from behind. The physics will propel the guy into the end zone. And we saw that over and over again last night. Couple of touchdowns that way. Short yardage, fourth down that way. It's boring. It's ugly. But as long as it's in the rule book, why wouldn't you do it if you can do it? And if you're not doing it, why aren't you doing it? It works. And maybe the Eagles are the only ones who can work it to perfection. Regardless, it works. And until it's taken out of the rule book, we're going to see that ugly scrum where the green helmets push the other colored helmets forward and they get the yardage they're trying to gain. Mike, uh, I am on record last year many times loudly saying it's an abomination. Uh, it's an idiotic rule. And the NFL has made a, in my opinion, a terrible mistake in not legislating a rugby play out of the NFL. And 
there's only one logical reason why, and that is in the NFL rules meisters' minds, you know, competition committee and the league, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. And I can tell you that there are significant, important people in the National Football League who blanch every time they see this and they just shake their head because they think that it is somebody pushing the rules too far, but the NFL didn't push back, so they're just going to keep doing it. Good for the Eagles. I'd keep doing it too. But if anybody looks at that play and says, you know, we really like when our team, you know, it's such a beautiful part of the game for our team to, uh, you know, have the quarterback pushed from the side and from behind and and have a 260-pound tight end doing nothing but pushing the pile, you know, and and look, I realize it is a hard position, or, or, or I'm sorry, a hard play to defend. But I will just say this, at some point, you know, if Greg Schiano was in this league still, Mike, you know, he'd be doing something about this. He wouldn't just be taking it, okay? Like, I think too many teams just say, well, Eagles are on the half-yard line. We're not going to get our guys hurt. Have the touchdown. And again, they're not saying that. They're saying, okay, here's how we're going to defend it. But the only way to defend it, in my opinion, is the way the New England Patriots tried to defend the play at the goal line in the Super Bowl against Seattle. And that is to put your four heaviest defensive linemen in the game and have them, you know, tackle to tackle across the line of scrimmage and fire off at the start of the ball, get low. And, and I just think until teams devote the resources to try to do that to the point that maybe at some point uh, where a quarterback's shoulder gets wrenched or, or, or something happens, a quarterback gets hurt, teams are just going to keep doing this. And, well, they should because the NFL has made it possible for them to do this. And if you see those two plays at the goal line, the Vikings did try something to stop it. They had a cluster of guys that rushed to the line. They timed the snap. They tried to get some push, but it it just doesn't work. And this all started for one very simple reason. Prior to 2006, the NFL had in the rule books that you can't push or pull a runner in an effort to assist him to gain more yards. And they recognized that in the open field, close to the sticks, at the end of a play, what would happen is somebody comes lumbering in from behind while the player is in the process of getting tackled and shoves the player forward. And they never called it. They never threw a flag when it happened. So they did the one thing that I always advocate, Peter. If you're going to have a rule that you don't enforce, get rid of the rule. Because it looks stupid to have a rule that you don't enforce. So because the officials weren't throwing a flag when the 280-pound, 320-pound lineman comes running down and shoves the pile from behind near the line to gain, they just said, let's just get rid of it. You still can't pull a player but you can go ahead and push. 
And it sat there in plain sight for 16 years. And then all of a sudden, the Eagles realize, hey, you're allowed to push the player. We have the personnel to do this. We have a quarterback who's willing to do it. We have an offensive line that can get the initial push. We've got guys we can put behind him and shove him across. So we're going to do it. And there was plenty of discussion about it in the offseason. There were people who wanted to change that rule. And it would be an easy fix. Just say within the tackle box, you can't do it. You can't push a runner within the tackle box. That's it. Boom. Problem solved. Problem solved. That play is no longer in the game. And you don't have to worry about somebody trying to figure out whether to throw the flag when the lineman runs 10 yards downfield and and just shoves into the pile and the guy stumbles past the the yellow line. Uh, Easy. But they are so slow to act. And they wait for some major embarrassment. And then they react to it. And I think it goes back to 2019. When they tried to fix the flaw that allowed the uncalled pass interference in the NFC Championship between the Rams and the Saints, they screwed that up so badly. They're now afraid to do anything to counter something that needs to be done because of unintended consequences, because they're incapable of imagining what will or won't happen when we do things a certain way. There's a failure and an absence of any creative thought as to what happens if we change this rule. So we're not changing anything. We're not doing anything. We're not going to do it. And, and we're going to have this all year. And, hey, the easy response is, Peter, as you said, the Eagles are taking advantage of it. Every other team can do it as well. Go ahead and do it. The only risk you're taking is one of these days your quarterback is possibly going to get injured because you are going to have a Shiano type of an instruction to take full advantage of the fact that all protections are off for the quarterback when he decides to do that. You know, Mike, you – you, I think he summed it up perfectly. And I think now um, we're just going to have to ask this question at some point this year. You know, Jalen Hurts easily could score easily. He, he very well could score 20 touchdowns this year on that play. And then you, you're going to ask yourself the question, Okay, one of the best teams in football has scored 20 touchdowns. He's going to score at least 15. But 15 to 20 touchdowns this way, basically for the second straight year. I don't know how many he had last year, but he had a lot of them. And, and it isn't just for touchdowns. It all, it's also for first downs. So then you're going to have to ask, I, I think most likely... It's one of those things that if Roger Goodell doesn't hear enough of what we're saying right now, he's going to shrug his shoulders and say, we're going to let it continue. Because that's how rules get changed in the NFL. There's collective outrage out there. And certainly you're not going to get the outrage in the 215 area code um, or anywhere else in the Philadelphia area. But I think... You know, there's got to be people outside of Philadelphia who say this isn't football. And until that happens, it's still going to be allowed. And by the way, Mike, you mentioned it earlier, and I didn't even, I hadn't really looked at Philadelphia's schedule. It's, it's amazing. It's absolutely amazing because obviously they have a really hellscape month starting in early November against Dallas where they play Dallas, Kansas City, Buffalo, and San Francisco, and then Dallas again in succession, okay? So, 
but before that, as as you can see right here, Tampa Bay, Washington, at the Rams, at the Jets, at the Rogers List Jets, Miami at home, at Washington. It's you know, the Philadelphia Eagles, I'm not saying they're going to be eight no going into that Dallas game, but I want you to pick out the loss. <laughs> I mean, they I guess they could lose to the Jets' great defense. They could lose if the Rams are, you know, what they look like the other day. Uh, they certainly could. Anybody can lose to Miami. Uh, but it won't be a shock if that is uh, a match of the Titans on November 5th and the Philadelphia Eagles are 8-0. Now, I love what you said about the collective outrage necessary to change a rule because a lot of the quirky, weird rules in the NFL – don't get changed because, number one, there's never collective outrage. And number two, one thing I've detected over the years of covering the sport and talking to people involved in it, when someone gets burned by a bad rule, someone else benefits from that bad rule. And the team that gets burned by it in this weird sort of warped way just files it away and thinks, next time the football gods will apply that rule in a way that helps us. It's a 50-50 proposition. That brings me to the rule you mentioned earlier and one of the problems and issues with the Vikings last night, the turnovers, and the one that happened, not because the Eagles successfully recovered possession of the football. The Eagles did nothing to earn possession of the football. That's why I continue to have a problem with the rule that if you fumble the ball in the field of play and it ends up going out of the end zone, either along the side or in the back, the other team gets possession, not at the spot of the fumble, mind you. They get it at the 20. And it all flows from this outdated thinking about the sanctity of the end zone. Did you know, Peter, there was a time where if you threw an incomplete pass and the ball landed in the end zone, the defense got the ball at the 20. So that's the mindset that fuels this idea. And Chris Sims disagrees with us vehemently. He views that end zone is sacred territory he calls it north korea and if you fumble the ball into north korea you're not getting it back i guess the other example would be like you hit the ball over the fence to the mean neighbor's yard once it's there it ain't coming back that is warped and twisted and outdated for today's game because if that ball that came out of justin jefferson's hand i saw talk last night oh hey don't reach the ball forward at the Goal. He wasn't even trying to reach it forward. It just popped out of his chest as he was possibly trying to reach it forward. If that goes out of bounds on the green, the light green side of the pylon, it's the Vikings ball at the spot of the fumble. But just because it goes over the pylon past the dark green end zone, the Eagles get it at the 20. I mean, at a minimum, at a minimum, if you're going to change possession there, give the ball to the defense at the spot of the fumble. Why do they get it at the 20? It's just nonsensical. It could roll out of bounds at the one millimeter line and the offense gets the ball at the spot of the fumble. But because it goes that extra millimeter, all of a sudden defense gets rewarded for doing nothing. They did nothing there. You get the ball without securing the ball. That's what drives me crazy about it. And that won't change until it happens during a Super Bowl. And the 70 million or so people that don't watch it every week and aren't in the weeds like we are start asking questions at the party that they're at. Like, why the hell is that the rule? What did that, what, that makes no sense at all. And that's the kind of thing that will stir the outrage from the casual fan if it's ever going to be stirred. 
to get that rule changed. And I'm not even sure that would change it. That's so baked into football that I don't see them changing it because everyone who gets burned by it, somebody else benefits from it. Well, and the other thing is, Mike, those are the kind of rules. What happened last night is going to get everybody. There's going to be a Minnesota columnist who writes about this dumb rule. Uh, There's going to be, you know, 43 hours of talk radio talking about this dumb rule. And then you know what's going to happen? Games will be played on Sunday. And on Monday right, morning, objects. other than probably in my column, uh, on Monday morning, nobody's going to remember what happened. Nobody's going to talk about what happened. It will be over. And certainly, by the time the competition committee gathers at the NFL scouting combine at the end of February, do you think that's going to be a vivid memory or on the tip of Rich McKay's tongue that we've got to fix this in the competition committee. No, no, and no. And that's why it doesn't get fixed. And Mike, I have always thought, if you're not going to fix this rule, uh, the one tweak you can make in this rule is exactly what you just said. Where Justin Jefferson lost possession of the ball, okay, and where that ball ceased being a part of Justin Jefferson. The rule could be simple. At that point, wherever that point is, that is where the Philadelphia Eagles take over. So in other words, you give the Eagles the ball at the, in essence, the two-foot line. And now all of a sudden... It's a little bit more egalitarian. And it's a little bit more of what real football should be rather than you get a free... It's like, Mike, you ever play Monopoly and at the beginning of the game you put $500 in free parking and whoever lands on it, you you know, they get that money. And anytime you, you, know, you have any sort of, you know, penalty in the thing... You, you have to put your money not in the bank, but in the middle. And then somebody who lands on free parking gets all this money. It's like you didn't do anything to earn it, but you still get it. And that's exactly what happens right now. And to me, that would at least allow the defense, okay, whether the defense did anything to create that turnover or not. And you could argue that they did a little something. They tackled them. Uh, Maybe they forced the fumble, whatever it is. But if you did this, you would create a scenario where now, okay, you give a reward to the opponent for the guy fumbling in the end zone. However, you know, on the other hand, you don't give him everything. You don't give your opponent everything by giving him the ball at the 20-yard line and having an easy new series, relatively speaking. So the only even the only way to even slightly even this out, I, I believe, is to give the guy, give the opponent the ball at the spot where the fumble took place. And you hit the nail on the head as to why this will subside. And look, this isn't a pro Vikings take on my part. I am on the record. It's a chapter in my book, Playmakers, about how it's the worst rule in football. This isn't selective. Whenever it happens, it drives me crazy because it makes no sense and it doesn't fit with the modern game of football. But, Peter, this is one of the 
hidden benefits of playing football Thursday, Sunday, Monday, and why I think eventually Tuesday, Wednesday. It's not going to be the main reason. Money's going to be the main reason. But when you have another bright, shiny object, it takes the attention away from whatever it was that happened in that last game that everyone's talking about. And that's why it's going to take it happening in a Super Bowl because there is no next bright, shiny object. And a couple of weeks after right. the Super Bowl is the scouting combine where they sit down and talk about these things. So if there is an avalanche of criticism, if casual fans and general columnists who cover all sports are writing these pieces, ripping this ridiculous rule that makes no sense, that's the kind of thing that's going to get the competition committee's attention and get Rich McKay, who notoriously doesn't want to change anything. I'm, you know, I, at times, yes, maybe, but the, the first position for Rich on most of these is, well, let's take a look at it. Well, we need to talk about it. Well, we need to think about it. And they are concerned about unintended consequences, but it's never going to happen until it takes a Super Bowl away. It influences the outcome of a Super Bowl because it's going to give a Super Bowl win to somebody else. That's the problem. Unlike the quarterback push from behind rule, which is only primarily benefiting the one team that is taking full advantage of it. This other rule benefits all teams at some point or another because everyone that gets burned by it is complimented by everyone who benefits from it when it does happen. And the coaching point is, and look, this is the Derek Carr problem because he did it twice, reaching out with the ball near the goal line. You have to understand, you, you just don't do it. Just take take the first and goal at the one. You don't have to make the superstar play because if you lose possession of that ball at all, you're screwed. And that's how coaches need to communicate it to their players until the rule is changed. If the rule is ever changed, and I don't think it's ever going to be changed because the chances of it marring the outcome of a Super Bowl grand scheme of things since it's only one of those games a year, pretty slim. All right. Let's hear from Vikings coach Kevin O'Connell on the turnover issues that have plagued the Vikings through two weeks, whether it's Justin Jefferson fumbling the ball out of the end zone or interceptions we saw last week, fumbles recovered by the Eagles last night, the whole host of things that have held the Vikings back. Here's O'Connell discussing that problem with the 2023 Vikings. Seven to one in turnovers lost in, in two games, and we've lost by a combined nine points to two uh, playoff teams from a year ago. Um, so clearly I've got to coach it better from a standpoint of something we talk about every single day. Uh, ball security is a major, major focus in our football philosophy. Um, but clearly um, I need to do a better job and, and our staff, we've got to go back and continue to find ways to re-emphasize um, how important it is when you have the football in your hands um, playing for the Minnesota Vikings. Because, you know, like I said, we're we're really not giving ourselves um, clean opportunities to win these games the way we've started. Um, and, and I've got to do a better job, and, and we've got to continue to emphasize it. And, you know, and it's kind of a – I understand he's saying what he has to say. But, Peter, a grown-ass man playing National Football League, highest level of the sport, I think he knows you need to hold on to the football. It's not easy to do when someone's hitting you and trying to rip it out. Everybody understands you have to hold on to the football. I don't know what more you can say to a guy in his 20s who's been playing football all of his life and has been carrying the football all of his life that you have to hold on to the football. This fumble on the punt return when the Vikings had some early momentum, that was a killer. The fumble, what was it? But The fumble, this is the fumble on the inner, no, 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 that was the interception the Vikings had. 
uh, on the Eagles. Yeah, that, that 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 was not a Vikings turnover. That was the one Vikings turnover that was good. Everything else, ball coming out. Now, it's – look, it's just – last year when the Vikings were pulling a rabbit out of the hat every week, I knew it wasn't sustainable. There was an element of luck to it. You can't just say, well, you know what, we've engineered these moments now. We're always going to rise up and find a way to make a big play in a big spot and win these close games. No, it just worked out. You were flipping the coin, and, and you had a run where it came up heads a lot. Now, all of a sudden, it's coming up tails. That's, that's the problem. You can't play in these razor-thin margin games and expect to win them on a regular basis. You're going to win some, you're going to lose some. And there's going to be clusters of wins, and then there's going to be clusters of losses. But over time, you're going to regress to 9-8 and eight or 8-9. and nine. It reminds me of how they were under Brad Childress as the head coach. Keep it close and hope for a break late. Well, the problem is one week you're going to get it and one week you're not. And last year they got extremely lucky by getting those breaks one after another, after another, after another. And this year, it's evening out. Mike, uh, you asked 90 seconds ago, I don't know what you can do. These are grown men. Uh, They have to be responsible for it. You do what coaches, I remember this wasn't, this was not only Bill Parcells, it was Mike Ditka, it was Joe Gibbs, it was like, there's a lot, there used to be a lot more consequences after a huge mistake. For instance, how do you fix this? You do one of two things. You call Brandon Powell in the office this morning, uh, or whenever you're back in the office, and you say, listen, don't want to put too much pressure on you, but if that happens again, you're not going to be on this team. Period. Be real. Or you just don't say anything, and you just say, thanks a lot for your services. Uh you know, good luck the rest of the way, and you give the job to somebody else. And, you know, so a lot of people might look at that and say, oh, my God, one mistake? The guy is going to get fired for one mistake? Maybe. You know, it's something that at some point <clears throat> you have to say to your team, this is not acceptable, and we're doing, doing something about it right now, Everyone on this roster is accountable to everyone else. And if you don't do your job, uh, if you hand the ball to the other team, we're going to have to find somebody who won't hand the ball to the other team. Right. The problem is in today's NFL, you've got cap consequences. You've got to find a replacement and trust that this guy is otherwise going to be better. I mean, it was a great punt return by Brandon Powell. The problem is he fumbled on the back end of it. And I wonder how much time is devoted in practice to drills aimed at curing fumbling issues. And look, on one hand, I oversimplified it by saying by the time you get to this level of the game, you should know how to hold on to the football. Sometimes, sometimes a little coaching, a little creativity makes a difference like it did when Tom Coughlin taught Tiki Barber the old high and tight. Remember how goofy it looked when Tiki Barber was holding the ball like that? But guess what? No more fumbling problems. He never Tiki fumbled. Barber, when, he, when he secured the ball against the, the plate on his shoulder pads and gripped it like that, they couldn't get it out. I remember being at a West Virginia practice five, six, seven years ago when Dana Holgerson was the head coach, and they did this drill where, and it was in the early stages of practice when they do the individual drills, they had a line of guys 
whose positions were to carry the football. They were each holding a football, and there was one guy who was kind of lurking behind them and would come up and just whack him in the arm as hard as he could, unsuspecting. You just kind of teach that idea that you never know when that arm yeah. is going to come hit your arm, and you just learn to constantly be tensed up and hold on to the football. And, and it is a matter, to a certain extent, of concentration. Still, there's a point where you get hit hard enough in the arm and that ball is going to come out. But if you are consciously aware at all times, in every moment, in every second, in every nanosecond of the possibility of somebody hitting that arm, that's one way to do it. So there, there are ways. And the Vikings need to come up with those ways. They need to do a drill like that if they aren't doing it. They need to make sure that that, that guy who has the ball is always completely and totally aware that someone may hit your arm and knock it out. So you've got, whether you're holding it high and tight, whether you're, whether you're going, whether you know instinctively when to go two arms on it, but you got to protect the ball because you never know when somebody's going to hit you with an arm and the ball's going to pop out. So maybe they can do something, or maybe it's just dumb luck. And dumb luck fueled 11 wins last year against no losses in one-score games, and dumb luck has them at 0-2 in one-score games in 2023 with the Chargers coming to town in nine days and possibly an 0-3 start for the Vikings as they feel more pressure now that they're 0-2. Chris Sims talks about this every year, about this time when there's a team that's 0-2 and you just feel more pressure to get that next one. And then it's 0-3 and it just becomes crippling to get that first one. They need that first one this week. They don't want to go to Carolina hoping that, that, that that's the place where they can end this. Because if they don't end it in Carolina, they're 0-4 going into the Week 5 game against the Chiefs. Yeah, you know, I I don't I probably don't have quite as much concern about the Vikings as some people would. And and, and I'll tell you why. Because they're going to score points and they're going to be explosive and they're going to outscore some teams. The only I, I and so I'm not saying they're going to turn it around and they're going 12 and 5 because I don't think they are. I did not pick them to make the playoffs. I think their defense is suspect. And, you know, Kirk Cousins has won two playoff games in whatever, six years, whatever it is, or five years. And so I, I don't have a lot of faith in them, but I don't think they're going to be 4 and 13. The offense is just too explosive. Brian Flores is going to do something positive with that defense at some point. So I I don't think it is a absolutely urgent deal right now with this team, but you're right. They've got the chiefs lurking in in the fourth game of the season. And obviously that's going to be trouble. I just look at the season. Although I think after a couple of weeks, you can make some judgments. I would just caution a team that has been dying due to turnovers in the first two weeks uh, and otherwise has been an explosive overall good offensive team. I don't, I don't want to press the panic button if I'm, you know, if I'm the Minnesota Vikings right now. Well, and that's what they need to do. They, uh, they need to, to look at the things they're doing well and take some solace in the fact that they're playing well enough to win these games. They were playing well enough last night to go in and beat the defending NFC champions 
in their own building a year to the week after being outclassed by the Eagles 24 to 7 on Monday night football. So they they were down 27 to 7 and they made it a one score game. That's the amazing yeah. part of this. They did not give up. They did not relent. There was a point there where I was starting to sense the let's just pack it up and go home vibe coming from the Vikings. And Kirk Cousins I think kind of willed them to keep going and for as much criticism as primetime Kirk gets and he deserves it 12 and 21 in primetime now the Mike Zimmer excuse for that always was well you're playing pretty good teams in primetime so it's harder to win in primetime because they don't put you know bad matchups in primetime so Cousins had 364 passing yards 31 for 44 four touchdowns no picks last night after having what three in week one so you know he did play well the one fumble and, and I tweeted primetime Kurt, the old Bruce Allen insult of Kirk from several years ago, and he multiple times referred to him as Kurt. Uh, people were like, well, what? That, what's, that, that's not his fault. That's not his fault he didn't block. The quarterback still has to have an awareness as to what's going on around him. And when the pocket quickly collapses, you can't just turtle. You can't just, you can't just take the hit and hope for the best. That's one of the flaws in Kirk Cousins' game. He doesn't have the ability to get away from that when it's happening like Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen, and other quarterbacks do. He just kind of, it's just like, uh-oh, here it comes, and he freezes. He does deer in the headlights in those moments, and I think there's a little deer in the headlights for the entire team when they get into those big spots because, you know, they say a team is a personification of its coach. I think a team is also, to a certain extent, a personification of its quarterback because he's the guy who's holding everyone else accountable. It's one thing to hear it from your coach when you hear it from somebody who's wearing a helmet, when you've got that Peyton Manning attitude, like the, you know, the, the SNL United Way commercial, not that he was that way with his teammates, but he was probably not far from it when guys weren't getting their job done. You didn't have to hear about it from Tony Dungy or Jim Mora or Jim Caldwell. You heard about it from Peyton Manning. The quarterback, to a certain extent, has that ability to set the tone, and I don't think that's Kirk Cousins' personality. So between not having the mobility to run away from those issues and maybe not being the kind of natural leader that gets everyone to rise up with him in those big moments, 12-21 and 21 in primetime games. Yeah, I'm not – I I don't break things down into primetime versus whatever. I, You know, it's – it's a 53-man team. I get it. The quarterback is responsible for more than one fifty-third, and I got that. I think that's one of those stats that I hear it. It goes in one ear and out the other. Um, tell me the playoff record. And tell me the record in games you have to win to make the playoffs. And those are a lot more valid to me than what a guy is if a game starts at 8.20 in the evening. It just doesn't really matter too much well, to me. But, Peter, it's not about biorhythms or moon phases. It's about the magnitude of the game. I think you agree with me at a certain level. We're on the same page here. When the game is of a certain significance, that's when some guys rise up and some guys shrink. And at night, 
It's not because it's under the lights. It's not because it's cooled off from the high temperature of the day. It's because it's a bigger spot. Everyone's watching. The game is significant. I'm going to be criticized more if I don't show up in this spot. When I'm playing at 1 o'clock Eastern on a Sunday and there's eight other games going on, nobody's really going to notice what I do until they see the highlights. It's just but the, the question is, Mike, the question is, the question is, do you criticize and put a negative mark in the column on Kirk Cousins for how he played for four quarters last night. I don't. And so, in other words, you're blaming Kirk Cousins or you're putting a negative mark in his column because the punt returner fumbled, because Justin Jefferson tried to reach a ball into the end zone. And so that's why I think a lot of these things that we view as important numbers I just I think it's important if it's a playoff game if it is a game to get your team into the playoffs I I just I'm not a big person to say that you know if a if a game is on Monday night football or Thursday night or Sunday whatever I just I don't I don't think it's valid I just don't I think there's a fundamental difference between guys who are great throwers of the football and guys who are great leaders. And not every great thrower of the football is a great leader. And I think that's what I'm really getting at. The guys who will rise up and take the team with them in those key moments. The guys who command the kind of natural respect in the locker room that all Kirk Cousins has to say to Justin Jefferson is one time, if it happens in practice, if it happens in another game, because... Kirk Cousins, like Peyton Manning, possibly a football junkie and is looking for anything that he can glean from any other game. Constantly plugged in, constantly dialed in, not taking Tuesdays off. I'm sorry, people get mad when I say that. I'm not going to stop saying it. You're an NFL quarterback and you're taking Tuesdays off when you're on a Sunday-to-Sunday schedule. Get the hell out of here with that. You think Peyton Manning took Tuesdays off? Peyton Manning's going to watch film of other teams in the league looking for anything he can. And when the Peyton Manning of the world goes to the Jefferson, Justin Jefferson and says, one time, you get near the goal line, never reach the ball out. And Justin Jefferson knows if I ever do that, I don't have to answer to the coach. i got to answer to Peyton Manning. That's one of the reasons why Peyton Manning was so great. It's that natural leadership, taking control of everything, elevating yourself and everyone around you, holding everyone to a degree of accountability. Back to the fumbling. Back to, even though it's a punt return fumble. I don't want to go near Peyton Manning after I do something that stupid and I didn't tense up and hold on to the football at the end of a long return and deprive him of great field position. It is a very intangible thing that defies analytics, that never shows up on the stat sheet. But to me, Peter, it's one of the fundamental differences between the great quarterbacks and the good quarterbacks. The great quarterbacks scare the shit out of the rest of the guys around them to the point where they don't screw up in big spots either. Well, it's not like Kirk Cousins can start doing that now after not doing it for six years. He is who he is. So That's my point. He I is mean, who he is. Yeah. He is who he is. Yeah. It's, why, it's why it's his last year in Minnesota. He is who he is. Yeah. But I will also say that I think I don't think there are a lot of quarterbacks who do that, who go up to Brandon Powell and who go up to the best receiver in football I don't know that Joe Montana ever went up to Jerry Rice in a locker room after a game 
after he had a big fumble and said, if you ever do that again, I'm not throwing the ball to you. <laughs> you know, so, so oh. I, I, don't, I think that is a little bit unrealistic to expect that, that a quarterback of any stature would go up to the best receiver in football who has won countless games for you, and he Fs things up, and he knows that he Fs things up because after the game he said, it's on me. I I don't I don't know. I understand what you're saying. Kirk Cousins is who he is. I get it. He's a mild-mannered, wonderful human being um who, you know, at the end of his career is going to be, you know, mayor of Hillsdale, Michigan. You know, and everybody'll love him and he will work hard to make the community a better place. And I'm not making fun of him. I'm not doing any I I'm just simply saying that he is a guy who has life in the proper perspective, or you know, a lot of times. But I just think, Mike, you can't ask somebody to be who he isn't. Oh, and 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 that's my point. And if he's not going to be that, then it's on the coaching staff to try to coax it out of him or supplement what that leadership void can do to a locker room. And and I'm not saying that you know these are rare traits, but this is why. He doesn't have an overwhelmingly great record in primetime. This is why he's won one playoff game in his entire career. This is why the Vikings didn't extend his contract before this season. And he's in the unusual position of entering the final year of his contract. And the Vikings have no way to keep him next year. They can't tag him. And I don't think they want to keep him. I think the Vikings are committed to a not-so-secret plan of getting themselves another Fran Tarkenton. You know, I was talking to somebody about this last night. The Vikings have never gone through an extended stretch of bad to the point where they bought him out and they can go get themselves a franchise quarterback. It hasn't happened. So not that they want to go through an extended stretch of bad, but they're prioritizing, I believe, as an organization, positioning themselves to get a franchise quarterback. They have not had a franchise quarterback year to year. Dante Culpepper was close until his knee got wrecked in Carolina in October of 2005. Dante Culpepper was on track to be that guy. But, but, the Vikings haven't had it since Fran Tarkenton, and we need to take a break. We spent the first hour of a two-hour program, the first segment of a two-hour program on that game. We have to do six segments in one hour. We will (laughs) shift into overdrive. When this Friday edition of PFT Live continues right after this. I'm a... The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. 